I believe in Christ, he is my king. With all my heart to him I'll sing. I'll raise my voice in praise and joy, in grand amens my tongue employ. Scriptures reveal the divine desires of the Lord in our behalf. Each of us should have a burning desire to search the scriptures diligently and daily to seek the will of the Lord in our life. Brothers and sisters, on very thin pages, thick with meaning, are some almost hidden scriptures. Hence we are urged to search, feast, and ponder. If you are lonely, please know you can find comfort. If you are discouraged, please know you can find hope. If you are poor in spirit, please know you can be strengthened. If you feel you are broken, please know you can be mended. All right, welcome to Go and Do. Uh, this lesson is for Alma 5 through 7. And today we'll be talking about what it means to have a change of heart and what to do after, how to grow and develop a testimony once you've changed your heart, uh, the importance of gathering as disciples of Christ, that the atonement of Jesus Christ covers all afflictions, physical, mental, and emotional, that we must remember to show gratitude for our blessings, and that there are things that we may not know, but that we should have faith in what has been made known to us. I'm Daniel. And I am Feely. And I'm Dustin. Yeah, we're joined by Dustin Call today as he helps us to tackle these scriptures. All the way from California. That's right. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. Um, Alma 5 is like one of my favorite chapters in the Book of Mormon. And I think it's because it kind of reminds me, well, he asks a series of rhetorical questions, right? That Kind of a, a self-assessment. He wants us to kind of check ourselves, like, how are you doing with your testimony? How, how are you doing with your progression spiritually? And one of my favorite things to do is to actually read it during the sacrament meeting. Um, while they're passing the sacrament, just kind of go through it. It helps me not only focus more on the purpose of the sacrament, but also like literally do a check of myself. Am I doing this stuff? Am I really trying hard? In what ways can I improve? And just to have those kind of questions written, I think it was really helpful that he did that. That was really cool. Yeah, the title of this lesson, or the theme, is Have You Experienced This Mighty Change of Heart? And it's interesting because this is definitely an example of when the Lord took some, like in Ether chapter 12, He makes weak things strong unto us. Alma's previous lifestyle was not conducive to the gospel or the spirit, right? But now that change, that transformation has become a huge strength to him. And I think that's why he's so effective at teaching and, and asking these questions. Because I'm assuming these questions are things he asked himself, you know? Yeah. And he even, um, he even references his, his father, too, who is another great example in the scriptures of having a change of heart and how his father believed on the words of Abinadi. And that just got me thinking about how I don't know how many people actually realize this. Uh, Abinadi, I think, is probably one of the most underrated prophets in the Book of Mormon. Um, his preaching, I mean, he died without really knowing the impact that he had, right? Alma, the elder, was the only one who was really converted directly by Abinadi, but he had a huge change of heart. And But then you look at everything that Alma, the elder, did, all the, the souls that he helped convert, and brought back into Zarahemla, and it's been just everything else that happens from then on in the Book of Mormon. Alma the Younger, the Sons of Mosiah, everything from then on was goes back to just Abinadi, yeah. and the one heart that he was able to change. Um, and I guess it just got me thinking about how significant just changing one heart can be, whether we're changing our heart and the impact that we can have on other people or just realizing that even as a missionary, um, I think a lot of them place value on themselves based on how many people they were help, able to help bring to the gospel. All it takes is one. And this is a perfectly good example of that. Yeah, that's a great point. 
this the, these three chapters are I think the they're all about ministry you know mm. he ministers to one group of people I think in Sarahemla that are kind of stiff-necked not really following the commandments and then he moves to another group of people that I think it was where is the next part anyway um, he moves to another group of people and they are following the commandments and both he has a, a ministry lesson for both of them when he goes to Gideon yeah, yeah Gideon mm -hmm. along with those rhetorical questions the one in verse 19 um, kind of made me, made me wonder a little bit about it it says can you look up having the image of God engraved upon your countenances and I know that a lot of this is a metaphor. Obviously, nothing's engraved on someone's countenance. But what does that mean? And have you guys ever met anyone that's like that? That you could say has the image of God engraved on their countenance? I mean, I, I have some people in my ward I can think of right now that are definitely like that. Um, and they're just kind, right? Kind to, to no end. Um, which that, that charity I think is the greatest attribute of, of Christ that we can try to strive for some of the general authorities when they speak and you can kind of you feel that they're, they're saying more than just the words that are coming out of their mouth like you, you feel the, the, the spirit really strongly I think that has a lot to do with that as well like the impact of their words is a little bit stronger than just the words they're saying. Yeah, I, I remember the scripture where it says, um, uh, I think it's in Ether, actually, chapter 12, where he's talking about their weakness in writing. And if they could only speak, because when a man speaketh by the power of the Holy Ghost, he carries it into the hearts of the children of men. And I've definitely I've felt that many times where someone says something very simple, and it's not really something that's profound, but they say it with the spirit and it becomes profound to mm -hmm. me, like where my thoughts go, where my feelings go. And I think, I like how in verse, um, in chapter five, verse 11, he kind of says, behold, I can tell you, did not my father Alma believe in the words that were delivered by the mouth of Abinadi? And was he not a holy prophet? Did he not speak with the words of God? And my father Alma believed them. And according to his faith, there was a mighty change brought in his heart. So he's referencing his father's change of heart. You know? And I'm sure, you know, his father taught him these things. And then, behold, I say unto you, this is all true. And behold, he preached the words unto your fathers. And a mighty change was also brought in their hearts. And they humbled themselves and put their trust in the true and living God and behold they were faithful until the end therefore they were saved and so he's kind of also these might be the, the children of all the people that followed Alma as well because yeah. he's referenced their fathers they they also heard the, these words uh, in the teachings mm -hmm. of, of his father and then it goes into the famous chapter verse 14 and now behold I ask you my brethren of the church have you spiritually been born of God have you received his image in your countenance have you experienced this mighty change of heart? What, there's a se section, let me find it, where he says, and can you feel so now, you know? Where is that part? Yeah, it was all over this. Yeah, I'm gonna reading that to you. We will let 26. it. 26. And I behold, positive. I say unto you, my brethren, if ye have experienced a change of heart, and if ye have felt to sing the song of redeeming love, I would, I would ask, can you feel so now? Yeah. But that's just showing that a change of heart isn't enough. It's maintaining that and pushing further and trying to develop the, the changed heart. Right? If, if Alma the Younger or Alma the Elder had had these huge uh, come-to-Jesus moments, so to speak, where they literally change their, the way that they act and they think and that they, they do everything. And then they just said, okay, well, now I know better. Or they say, now I'm in the truth, and so I'm good. Yeah. That wouldn't have been enough. Yeah. 
I was just gonna say, imagine, yeah, like you were saying, if, if Alma the Elder had had stopped there, <laughs> and not, and in his change of heart, had been so drastic that he said, "I can't keep this to myself. I have to share it with others." And the same with Alma the Younger and Sons of Mosiah. What if their conversion had stopped it? I believe, you know, they they're the perfect ex- example of the next step that we have to take and what it truly means to have a a real change of heart. It's kind of like um, back in, in Mosiah, King Benjamin, when he says retaining a remission of your sins. Mm. Kind of like, um, it's a very similar message where you felt this, you felt a mighty change, but I'm going to tell you how to retain a remission of your sins. And that's the thought I had as I was walking and listening to this, uh, was this isn't, Alma is not inviting them to have a one-time experience. Yep. He's having them to have, He's inviting us to have a continuous change of heart. Well, and even people who were born into the gospel or born into the church doesn't mean that we can't have a change of heart. But maybe our, you know, we're kind of already involved in the in the church and in the gospel from birth. But he's trying to say the change of heart should be a, a growth in testimony. It's not just a one-time event. It's a continuous, uh, ongoing process that you're changing your heart continually to be more like the Savior. It's not just, and then I had this change of heart, and now I'm saved, right? Yeah. We hear a lot about that kind of stuff in, in other religions where it's like, I accepted this, and now I'm saved now. I had a change. I'm a different person. That's a great start. It's a great way to start. But if you never continue to push, and you never continue to try to learn more, and, and to con- continually repent, right, when you make mistakes, it's not really that helpful to you. Yeah. Well, right after verse 26, where he, he asks that question, I would ask, can you feel so now? In verse 27, where he says, have you walked keeping yourself limbless? But the, the key question is that one, the one that really sticks out to me is, could you say if you were called to die at this time within yourselves, that ye have been sufficiently humbled? And it's interesting he words it that way, because I, I would have... Th- I, you always hear, are you prepared to meet God? Are you, have you repented? And he's saying, are you, have you been sufficiently humbled? Which is really interesting. And then, then that, that humility, I think, leads you to the next part where that your garments have been cleansed and made white through the blood of Christ who will come to redeem his people from their sins. And then he says two other things. Have you been stripped of pride? And... Have you been stripped of envy? Yeah. You know? Well, it's almost like you've, maybe you've changed and you've kicked some of the old habits that you had. If you were a drinker or a smoker, you've changed that. You don't do that stuff anymore. And you go to church every Sunday and you're trying to be faithful and all that. But then it's like, okay, those were outward things. Let's look inward now. You know? Are you prideful? Are you envious? These are different kinds of sins. These are harder in many ways to kick than some of the outward-facing sins. Even people within the gospel um, can be very prideful about the fact that, oh, we have the truth. And it's like, well, yes, you do, but in what way are you using it? You know, are you using it to kind of elevate yourself over others, or are you using it to share with others? You know, yeah. It's also impossible to fully and completely repent and make restitution if we're not humble. If we have pride, if we have all those things. So those things are the foundation of, of just repentance overall. Yeah. Well, then in verse 30, he kind of doubles down and <laughs> doubles, and he says, And again, I say unto you, is there one among you that doth make a mock of his brother or that heapeth upon him persecutions? This feels very much how Christ taught in the New Testament. He taught very practical he taught them on the law of moses and then he took it to the next level you've been told an eye for an eye but i tell you have you called your your brother raka or or foolish or something like that right have you know you've been told this but i tell you turn the other cheek and he's kind of i i feel like he's he's he started with, here are some simple things and, and being changed. But then he goes and talks about our, our nature and our hearts and our intentions. And then he, he follows it up in 33 where, where he's, he says, 
Behold, he sendeth an invitation unto all men, for the, for the arms of mercy are extended towards them. And he saith, Repent, and I will receive you. Yea, he saith, Come unto me, and ye shall partake of the fruit of the tree of life. Yea, ye shall eat and drink of the bread and the waters of life freely. Yea, come unto me, and bring forth works of righteousness, and ye shall not be hewn down and cast into the fire. And so, he says all these things. Are you prepared? Are you ready to meet God? Have you taken his image in your countenance? But then he says, he's inviting us. This is for our good. This is this is a sh repentance is how we get to feel the mercy and the love of God yeah. and it's not a one-time thing it's something that you need to do forever oftentimes we think repentance is always it's broken it needs to be fixed or we batch repent like we yeah. we store up things for a while and then we course correct a bunch of Repent a bunch of things and then we're good and then we let it pile up again. And <laughs> we, we make the minimum payments yep. on the repentance <laughs> credit card, right? Um, but what, it, what I, I feel is like, even once you've done all that, are you humble enough that he can take you further? That things you don't even think are need to be improved, you can improve. Yeah. You know? um, in, the, in the instructor manual for Sunday school, it... It gives a suggestion to make essentially a list of ingredients for what makes up a testimony. And uh, I think that, you know, as we talk about a change of heart and as we talk about developing that, that new heart, um, it's really the formation and strengthening of a testimony. So, I, you know, I looked through the scriptures in verses 46 through 50, and there's a few of them that stand out there. Um, guidance of the Holy Ghost. Uh, fasting and prayer, scripture study, teaching others what you've learned or what you know, and then, like we've mentioned, always repent and make course corrections throughout your life. Um, you can get a basic testimony, but without doing these things and solidify what you know, um, it doesn't really do much. You have to continue doing these steps to continue to grow. Kind of the, the recipe, right, for for growing that testimony, always doing those types of things, always studying the scriptures and, and taking opportunities for a fast Sunday and to actually do a real fast and prayer to, to seek to know more and to get a testimony of that stuff. Yeah, the, the next section, the title of it is, I can gain my own witness of the Savior and his gospel through the Holy Ghost. There's a, then it has us read in Mosiah 27, um, 10 through 17, where it talks about how Alma and the sons of Messiah were going about rebelling, leading people astray. 11, it talks a little bit, they were rebelling against God, and an angel of the Lord appeared unto them. And 12, it talks about how great his astonishment was that they fell to the earth. And 13, and the angel tells them, Arise, Alma, arise and stand forth, and why do you persecute the church of God? And, and the question that in um, the manual it asks us, how can, how can you follow his examples? And then it says, um, Alma bore powerful testimony of the Savior and his gospel. He also explained he gained a testimony. He testified he did not mention his experience with seeing and hearing the angel, but rather describe the price he paid to know the truth for himself. And then later in verse um, 14, it says, uh, halfway through, therefore for this purpose, it's the angel coming. I have come to convince you of the power and authority of God. And then he's kind of, the angel, it's a really kind of, straightforward traumatic experience you know? he's <laughs> like hey can you feel the earth shake with my voice do you not realize how powerful and then uh, he says go and remember these things but then Alma says 19 and now the astonishment of Alma was so great that he became dumb and he could not open his mouth yet, and he became weak and he also could not move his hands therefore he was taken as if he were helpless right and they rehearsed to the Father everything. And then he talks about, My soul hath been redeemed from the gall of bitterness and the bonds of iniquity. And I was in, in the darkest abyss. 
But now I behold the marvelous light of God, and my soul was racked with eternal torment, and I am snatched, and my soul is pain no more. And so, I guess what I was, there was, I don't think I could ever say, I have been in the gall of bitterness and the bonds of iniquity and in the dark abyss. That's pretty, pretty <laughs> rough. But if he could go from there all the way to here, just that contrast where he's speaking about being humble. He's speaking about the mercy, the arms of God. He's, you know, how can, that's such a mighty change. Well, it's encouraging that whether whether you've been that low before or not, you it can happen to you too. You can also be redeemed, right? If you've been that low, he was too, and he made it. And if you've never been that low, then if he can save Alma, and he can save others, then he can definitely save you. Right. So there, there's no lost hope, right? That, that change of heart and that opportunity for, for repentance and forgiveness is accessible to everyone, everyone. In the, in the latter part of chapter 5, um, it refers to, to the Savior as the Good Shepherd. And then, um, and then towards the end he says, in verse 60, And now I say unto you that the Good Shepherd doth call after you. And if you will hearken unto his voice, he will bring you into his fold. And ye are his sheep, and he commandeth you that ye suffer no ravenous wolf to enter among you, that, he, that ye may not be destroyed. That invitation is, you know, he's just met with the people of Sarahemla and kind of explained to them the mighty change of heart, how you need to follow Christ. Are you prepared to meet him? Have you received his image in your countenance? And then he ends kind of with this invitation. And then I also like at the very end of this chapter where he says, to those that belong to the church, I speak to you in a, as a commandment. Yeah. And then to those that don't, I speak to you as an invitation that come and be baptized and repent that you may partake of the tree of life, which is the love of Christ. But the thing that impressed me is this commandment is still in effect. When we read this, we are being commanded by Alma through the scriptures that we need to follow these things and, and follow these steps and change our hearts and, and come unto the Good Shepherd. Um, you know, this isn't just something that happened a long time ago. This is still in effect. Yeah, in in chapter 6, is that's when I think he goes to to Gideon to start preaching to the people there and he talks about the importance of of gathering together and so I started asking myself why is it important that we gather together if salvation is an individual thing you know why is it why does activity in a ward or branch matter so much why why is he pointing that out in this chapter that gathering together in a group is is essential because a lot of people, I think, would say, well, I, the social aspects of it or people that I have had disagreements with in my ward, that gets in the way of my spiritual experience in church. I would rather just uh, read my scriptures and have spiritual experiences on my own. So why does he point that out? Why is it important? I think, no, by, I think it's something very practical for me, from my perspective, <laughs> Um, I think it's important that we learn conflict resolution. Hmm. Um, as as a, even a child going to school, or or some or just going to work, we cannot exist in vacuums. The 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 commandments are for us, and we need to be introspective, and we need to remove the beam in our eye before we worry about the tiny little moat in somebody else's life, right? But there's so much we can do to help others, or not just that, there's so much we can still learn from others to help to change our nature. Like almost every companion I had on my mission, 
the first week I would find one or two or 74 things that would annoy me about them. <laughs> and at the end of the transfer, I loved them. And mm. they still did those things. So for me, it was more like I needed to change. You know, I needed to learn to not worry about certain things. That other people, it's okay that other people view things differently. It's okay that uh, so and so brushes their teeth with mouthwash and not with with uh, you know something else, right? You know, you know, there's these little things. The gospel is about love and service. If you look at the way Christ led his his mortal ministry, that was that was what it was all about. As we, as we serve people, we grow to love them more. Gathering and, and being together as a body of the saints enables us to serve each other. Because we all have needs. We all will struggle through things. Um, and the Lord doesn't want us to go through that alone. Um, when Alma, the elder, baptized at the Waters of Mormon, that was, that was the first thing he talked about, you know, helping and, and, and supporting each other. Being together allows us to do that better not only so we can bless others' lives, but so that we can receive blessings as well. Yeah, I think not necessarily need to go and share all of the intimate, deepest, darkest details of your life, but there's opportunities there where you can say, hey, you know, in, in a quorum, guys, I'm having a hard time with this, or I've struggled with my testimony in this, or... You know, I've got some yard work that's just really overwhelming me. You know, just simple things like that where you're giving others the opportunity to serve you and you're being humble enough to ask for help in, in many different ways. I think if we didn't gather as, as disciples of Christ all together, we would never know that stuff. Or it'd be a lot harder to find out who needs well, help and with what. You look at the Savior's ministry and he was about doing good. He was... He was doing things. Um, you know, many of his teachings happened after he did something, like the woman at the well, you know, like, you know, uh, healing the lepers, you know, and, and, and it wasn't just that. It was when they came back and he came back to thank them. Then, then the, there was an opportunity to teach his disciples. Um, the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have to put it in action. And you can't put it in action if you isolate yourself. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's not just in churches, in everywhere, in, in our jobs. We don't have to be, you know, standing on a barrel of preaching and condemning people left and right. We just have to live what we live and be nice to others and support people. Um, you know, I've been thinking lately how many opportunities there are to bear your testimony when you don't have to have it framed in the sense of, Daniel, I'd like to bear my testimony to you, <laughs> and, and start it that way. Yeah. You can do it very simply. And sometimes the person may not even know that that's what you're doing, you know? Um, and I think that's the approach of ministry, you know? We, we you know, ministering to each other, new assignments, you know, we, we, we were in that rigid mindset of we have to have a lesson, we have to sit down, we have to ask them how they're doing, we have to share something, and then we have to leave and then schedule something next month. And they're saying ministering is just stop by, send them a message, take them some cookies, uh, help them some do something. You know, if they're on a walk, go on a walk with them. You know, they, you know just where... You know, and, and I think Alma, he is an excellent minister. And we continue to, you know, the whole book will be so many examples of him, how he ministered. And ultimately, at the end, when he ministers to his children, mm -hmm. when he tells his children, those are some of my favorite chapters, when he gives them kind of a summary of all the advice and counsel very specific to them. It's, you know, he continues that all his life. Well, and his overwhelming message is that everyone has value and everyone is important in the eyes of, of God. And one of the things I struggled with when I was elders quorum president was that we had like 90 something elders on the rolls, on the records for our ward. And we had like eight that were active. And I was like, man, what is going on? You know? And so the biggest thing that I would always share is that we're weaker because they're not here. 
there's strength in numbers, but not just the quantity of people, but also the variety of people and the variety of experience and the le different levels that people have in testimony. Where I might have a strong testimony, someone might be weak and vice versa. Where, where I can uplift someone, they might be able to uplift me somewhere else. And if they're not here, we're weaker because they're not here. And I think that's his overwhelming message is that, you know, each one of us has value in being present and in, in bringing whatever we have to the table, whether it's an opportunity for others to serve us or it's a service that we can offer to others, it's essential. In verse 6, in chapter 6, it says, Nevertheless, the children of God were commanded that they should gather themselves together oft and join in fasting and mighty prayer in behalf of the welfare of the souls of those who knew not God. I mean, so that clearly that's the purpose of gathering, right, yeah. is to come together and to figure out how to bring those who have strayed or who don't yet know back into the fold. And it's not just getting together and saying, hey, gosh, we're, I, I wish they were here. You know? Well, it wasn't a remiumptum prayer. Right. So we hear about the remiumptum <laughs> that uh, we're so grateful that we know the truth and they don't pour <laughs> them, you know, that kind of, it's not, it's, you have to really want to, to, to help others and be really concerned about the world further. So, and I think that, you know, being genuine and honest enables you to receive revelation to know how to do that. It's not magically going to happen. We are the, the ones that have to go minister and, and care and, um, you know, invite people to church, invite them to an activity, um, or just talk to them, you know. Um, in verse, uh, in chapter 7, uh, in the lesson, it tells us, the Savior took upon himself my sins, pains, and affliction. And then it asks a really good question. It says, have you ever felt that no one understands your struggles or challenges? If so, the truth taught in Alma 7, chapter, verse 7 through 16, uh, can help. And, uh, and then um, verse 11, well the whole all those scriptures but verse 11 for me was the one that I really like and, and it's talking about the ministry and of, of the Savior and he says and he shall go forth suffering pains and afflictions and temptations of every kind and this that the word might be fulfilled which he will take upon him the pains and sickness of, him, of his people and when he will take upon him death that he may lose the bands of death which binds the people, and he will take upon him their infirmities, that their bowels may be filled with mercy, according to the flesh, that he may know according to the flesh how to succor his people, according to their infirmities. I mean, it's uh, one of the most frustrating things when when you have a, a baby, a, a newborn, is when they're sick, mm. and you don't know what is bothering them, and you can't take it away you know what I mean like there's too little to tell you hey my ear hurts every time I do this or, or and you're just like ah. and, and oftentimes like, they can't even take medicine for it because they're too little or something yeah and you're just like uh. and it's like the I kind of think about that when I think about these scriptures how the Savior through the atonement he felt everything our infirmities our sickness those that are, are physical, mental, spiritual, things that we've done to ourselves, things that others have done to us, things that are just random, bad things, good things. You know, he's felt it all, so he knows how to succor us. So my question is, how does the Lord succor us? Like, how have you felt that in your life? These, these two passages, verses 11 and 12, are, are actually my absolute favorite passages of Scripture and all the Scriptures because of all the things you just said. The, the Lord... The, the atonement was very personal, I believe, for each and every one of us. If you think of all the billions and billions of, of, of children God has created on this earth, and all the, the very unique and individual ways that we experience pain or suffering or affliction. 
um, whether it's depression or breaking your arm or anything like that, the Lord not only knows, I think, the, 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 those things in the abstract, but I think in the very specific ways that each of us experience them. And so when we go to him in prayer and ask for relief or support or help with these things, it gives me comfort to know that he doesn't just understand the concept of the things that I'm feeling, but he knows exactly what I'm feeling, exactly what I'm experiencing, because he went through it himself. And who better, I mean, to help somebody than someone who knows exactly what you're going through. There, there's nothing more comforting to me than, than that, to know that the Lord knows like what I'm going through. And that he's willing and ready to help. He's just waiting for you to ask, you know? Right. That he's yeah, if you, you, if you think of that picture of him standing at the door and knocking, right? And all we just have to do is let him in. What I like about it is it covers a very wide range of, of things, right? It's not just sin. It's physical pain. It's emotional pain. It's mental affliction. It's uh, sickness. Like, literally, when you're sick and you feel like you're absolutely feeling miserable sick, uh, that's covered, too, you know? When, when you're brokenhearted. Yeah. Either someone, someone has betrayed you or, yeah. or made you feel lesser or even financial burdens that are, are stressing you out like he understands all of those kinds of afflictions and he will he will help you as long as you're reaching out to him there's this uh this quote by, by elder holland and it's in the talk called like a broken vessel in the october 2013 conference and he, he says whatever your struggle my brothers and sisters, mental or emotional or physical or otherwise, do not vote against the preciousness of life by ending it. Trust in God. Hold on to his love. Know that one day the dawn will break brightly and all the shadows of mortality will flee. Though we may feel we are like broken vessels, as the psalmist says, we must remember that vessel in the hands of the divine potter, broken minds can be healed just the way broken bones and broken hearts are healed. While God is at work making those repairs, the rest of us can help by being merciful, non-judgmental, and kind. And for me, what I've noticed is of recent years, there's been a lot more talk about uh, depression and suicide and how to help and how to seek help ourselves when we feel that way. But likewise, there's also been more um, flippant conversation about it, you know? And I've heard of times children, even from school, I've had my kid tell me of, of people that have said things like that in class. And so I think we need to always remember to be so reverent and careful um, and non-flippant and especially within ourselves when we feel sad you know sometimes we feel guilty when we feel sad mm. like oh I must not have a strong enough testimony or I must not have this or that it's okay to feel sad you know we, we learn in, in the Pearl of Your Price in, when Ether uh, I mean with um, that the Lord wept when he saw his children and that they, they, they were not being obedient, you know, we we see the Savior, you know, we we all have sadness, we've all experienced it. He even needed an angel to come and strengthen him through the atonement. And he, when he went back, he asked his disciples, "Will you just stay up with me?" Yeah. That that wasn't that, that I felt like he was sad, you know. And, and so too, we are sad and we should, we should understand that the Savior understands, you know? Well, and he says there will be a, a time when the dawn breaks or something like that. And this is a really kind of a silly example, but 
I always think of like when I was in school and fi like finals week is happening and you're just so burdened by everything that's happening and all these really important tests you have to take. And then the moment that you take, you turn in your last exam and you walk out and the semester is over and you're just like, oh, there's just this feeling of like, I'm done. I finished it. And on a much bigger scale, when we're going through really significant afflictions in life, we can't lose sight that there will be a day when you turn in that last bit of that affliction and you're free from it. And you can kind of, you remember it happened. You learned so much in that time of trial. You're a much better person because of it, but it's no longer burdensome to you. And it's now just for your benefit. That's the biggest part of it. Whenever you're having a trial, just, just keep thinking about how someday when this is all said and done, I'm gonna be so much better off because of this. It is horrific right now, but, but when I am able to finally overcome this, um, I'm gonna have a stronger testimony, I'm gonna have a stronger resolve to do good, and I'm gonna be a, a better person all around. It's easy, I think, for us to look around, especially in the church, and feel like everybody else um, you know, might be perfect or has things together and might not be suffering. We need to remember that we all have vices. We all have different things that we struggle with or go through. And in the end, whatever those are, I think it evens this all out. You know, you can't, you can't see what everybody's struggling with. And so knowing that, I, I would hope, would help us get through these trials and be a little less hard on ourselves. It also, I mean, like you said, it's hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel sometimes. Yeah. And, and it's hard to know how soon that relief might come. For some people, it is a lifelong struggle. Like some, for some people, death, you know, may be the only relief from whatever they're suffering from, whether it's physical ailment, addiction, things like that. But we just need to remember, and I, and I this makes me also think of, of the passage in the Doctrine and Covenants where. Um, the Lord is speaking to Joseph in Liberty Jail. Mm. No matter what you're called to go through, Christ has been through it all. You know, and we shouldn't think that we're above that, or that we wouldn't have to go through those trials as well. But because He's been through it, you know, even if we're called to to go through those trials for you know the entirety of our life, He can still be there to comfort us and help us through it. Definitely. I think in, in verse 23 of chapter 7, it's kind of the playbook of how to endure this. And it says, And now I would ye, that ye should be humble and be submissive and gentle, easy to be entreated, full of patience and long suffering, being temperate in all things, being diligent in keeping the commandments of God at all times, asking for whatsoever things ye, sh ye stand in need, both spiritual and temporal, always returning thanks unto God for whatsoever things ye do receive. That last line is quite possibly the most important line of that entire scripture. Always returning thanks unto God for whatsoever things you do receive. It's really, really easy to get caught up in asking and asking and asking and asking and wanting more. Even a testimony. I want a bigger testimony. I want a stronger testimony. I want to be more faithful. I want to be more this and that. But if you never go back and say, gosh, thank you so much for what you've given me so far, okay. then... What incentive is there to continue to give you more? That's something I've learned over my life and I believe very strongly is that if you're not grateful for the blessings you've received, um, you may lose them or he may not want to give you more because it's like, oh, you just ask and ask and ask and ask and you never return and give thanks. That's so important. It's just showing gratitude to our Heavenly Father for our daily life and for the opportunity to learn and grow. It's not perfect, but thank you for what I do have. And then he's going to be like, all right, thank you. Yeah, now what else do you need, all right? And then he'll be a lot more willing to help us in the future. Do you guys remember where he mentions, he kind of says, I don't know, but I know this. It's kind of a lot like Alma. When, I mean Nephi, when he says, Notice that the conversation is about no, but I know he loves children. Yeah, it's in verse 8 of chapter 7, I think is what you're talking about. Talking about 
Christ coming. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly it. Behold, I do not say that he will come among us at the time of his dwelling in this mortal tabernacle. For behold, the Spirit hath not said unto me that this would be the case. Now as to this thing, I do not know. But this much I do know, that the Lord God hath power to do all things which are according to his word. Someone as marvelous as Alma, who had all these revelations, can say, this aspect of this, I don't know. But I do trust in God that he can do whatever he says he's going to do. And I, I really, that stuck out to me a lot as I, was, as I listened to it. Because there's many parts of the gospel that, or aspects of it, there are some things that I don't know. I don't know how that will work. I don't know how about this. I don't know about that prophecy. But what do I actually know? You know, and I think we sometimes feel like we need to know everything in order to believe. And in like in how much later in chapter thirty-two, when he he talks about uh, faith is like a seed, and if you just plant it just with a desire, and you let it grow and you nourish it then it'll bear fruit and you'll know a little bit more and then your your that your knowledge of that is made strong but then you still put forth more faith to know even more um and and uh when i heard that i i was reminded of nephi you know when when he's wanting to see the vision of the tree of life as well and the holy ghost asks him Knowest thou the condensations of God? And he says, no, but I know he loves his children. So so we all, you know, it, it's very merciful that the Lord will give us wherever we're at and help us improve. And we don't have to know everything, but we have to be grateful for what we do know, kind of like you said. And then we can build a little bit more line upon line. And, and some things maybe it's not for us to know you know we may want to know how the tower of babel was constructed and what you know and it's like that's interesting sure but you can know how to pray and know if the book of mormon's true mm -hmm. and that one is probably more important than others you know reminds me of that seed of faith that the alma talks about later on and i love that when he says even if you can have no more than just a desire to believe and you can take even further than that even if you can only have a desire to have a desire <laughs> you know it's acting on that faith is important yeah that actually um another thing in the in the instructor's manual it mentions a pattern for gaining a testimony that was listed by dieter f Dorf. and he says first a desire to believe you may not start out believing right or even having faith, you, but just a desire to have it. Second, search the scriptures. Third, do the will of God and keep the commandments. And fourth, ponder fast and pray. You do those four things about literally anything and you can gain a testimony. I think that has to do with, you know, when we're talking about a change of heart, the change of heart happens and then we need to initiate those four steps. We need to start doing those four things to continue to grow it. But it's interesting that, you know, I, I think sometimes you might read something in the scriptures and, and get a, an impression from the Holy Ghost that this is true. Um, and that may be enough for you to believe it. But there might be other things that you struggle with that you're like, I, I really don't know why I have to pay tithing. You know, <laughs> I really don't, I, I don't get it. Then so if you do those four steps, if you desire to believe, if you search the scriptures and study it out and start doing, start paying your tithing, and then the fourth, um, ponder fast and pray about it. Am I doing the right thing? Is this really what you want me to be doing? We're promised that we will get a testimony of it. Yeah. That, that reminded me of, of this other talk by Elder Holland again. Uh, he's saying, uh, he was speaking to a 14-year-old boy, uh, said to me a little hesitant, Brother Holland, I can't say yet that I know the church is true, but I believe it is. I hugged that boy until his eyes bulged out. 
I told him with all the fervor of my soul that belief is a precious word, an even more precious act, and he, and he need never apologize for only believing. Hmm. I told him that Christ himself said, be not afraid, only believe, a phrase which was, which by the way carried young Gordon B. Hinckley into the mission field. I told this boy that belief was always the first step towards conviction and that the definite articles of our collective faith forcefully reiterate the phrase, we believe. And I told him how very proud I was of him for his honesty in his quest. Yeah, Christ didn't say, fear not, only know, <laughs> right? Just know it, just know it. Yeah. He said, believe, have faith. When you think about those two words, believe and know, I mean, I, I, I want to say that I know, right? But in the end, it really is just a belief. I think, you know, the prophet and the apostles who had that special witness are probably the only people that actually really know, <laughs> right? That have that first-hand knowledge. Uh, as much as we want to say we know, it, it, it really is just, just very strong faith, right? And belief. And choosing to believe it. Because there's exactly. some things that you're just like, I may never know this for, without a doubt, without a single possible yeah. inkling of doubt. Well, but I'm going to choose to believe it because it's worked for me so far and I'm happy. Well, the veil... <laughs> is a reminder that we are here to walk by faith. Yep. There are principles, and, and as once I, I watched that video of Elder Holland giving that talk, um, I, I asked myself, I, I thought, wow, there's many things I believe, and very few that I know. Um, like, I know the church is true, because the teachings and how I feel and how it's improved my life. I don't know Brigham Young or Joseph Smith. I believe they were prophets of God, but I've never met them, you know what I mean? Yeah. But by the fruits, I know the Book of Mormon is true uh, because I've done enough experiments on my own to know that these principles are true, you know? Like I've never met Moroni and Mormon, you know, you know, so, but I know that these words are true, you know, and I, I was thinking about that and, and I thought, and I'm okay with that because that's what we're here for. We're here to, and knowledge comes little by little as well. It's not just, you know, I, I often think of uh, the brother Jared, how he asked the Lord, he touched these stones and then he was totally blown away i had no idea you had a body like you had a hand and a finger yeah. you know so he knew and knew the lord but he didn't know the physical aspect of him you know what i mean mm -hmm. he believed in him and there's examples like that all over but you know we we live in such a society where we 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 want knowledge and only knowledge and knowledge must be science and it's like no, they're one in the same. In the or proof. We just want yeah. we just want things to be yeah. proved all the time. And that would be really great because it would take zero effort at well, all. <laughs> you know, it would just what, be like, well, here's I the think proof. Is proof will never be enough. Mm. You know, proof will never be enough. You can read it in a book. You can watch pictures, but people want to. I want to see that, and then you can see it, and you're like, well, now I want to touch it. And then you touch it, and you're like, how do I know this is a reality? And we're not in some VR. <laughs> You know, you know what I mean. Yeah. Like it'll never be enough. Like uh, yeah, we can't have we can't have testimonies based on that. I mean, I am certain, that, and it's coming out. There is so much evidence to support uh, the Book of Mormon and the things that happen in here. All the archaeological sites that are being dug up in Central America and all of those things. Like, there's so much evidence out there that the Lord could easily bring forth. Say, so here it is. Here's the remnants of these people. Here's other records, whatnot. But he doesn't want to because that's not the point. Yeah. We don't. We don't. We don't gain experience. We're, we don't get stronger through proof. You know, our testimonies get well, stronger 
as they're tested well, and, and, we, and they're put through that, that furnace. We all know the parent that does everything for their child <laughs> doesn't raise a child that can be dependent. And is capable. Yeah. And then when that parent is not there, it oftentimes doesn't go well, right? Um, and so I feel like Coming Father has the perfect balance of encouraging us and giving us, you know, I'm going to give you a straight and narrow path. And, and here are some, some helpers, some prophets. Here are some scriptures. Here's my son that will give you the best example you could ever have. And then also step a little bit, you walk a little bit yourself, you know, and it's a balance between building our capability and safeguarding us from, you know, bad decisions and habits. At the end, when it says, uh, ideas for scripture study at the end of the lesson, it says, it asks a question, why did Alma want his people to remember the Lord's mercy towards their ancestors? And I found, I find interesting, this, this year, going through the Book of Mormon, I find so many examples of when uh, one of these prophets is about to preach and they began recounting the great things the Lord has done in the past. Hmm. Uh, Nephi did it with uh, the children of Israel and Moses and, and kind of telling his brothers, look at all the great things God did and then kind of, then why can't he build, help teach me how to build a ship, right? Alma kind of did that a little bit in verse 5 with um, his father mm -hmm. and being delivered and Abinadi and kind of sets the stage. And it just kind of brought to my mind how important it is to remember and to reflect on our past, reflect how we got to where we are, and being grateful of our blessings. And, and when we do that, I think it kind of opens up the spirit to help you know how to move forward. Well, and you can bring up the past to show that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but also to show this is how the people reacted back then. Yeah. And we can either learn the good reactions, and we can also learn from the bad reactions when they decided to kill the prophets or whatever. What became of them after that? Do you want to be destroyed because of your disobedience, or do you want to have basically all the blessings that you could ever want and, and just consider the blessings your parents have been given mm -hmm. like i think about my mom her, her being able to get out of venezuela to have missionaries knock on her door it just these little tiny things for her well there were major things for her have drastically changed my life yeah you know and those were blessings that she saw in the Savior and, and the Lord blessed her. And, and when you think about that, you know, and, and we all have something like that in our lives, you know, where our ancestors or our parents, how the good the Lord was to them and helped them, then why would he change and not help us? And to put in perspective the decisions and actions that we take now, how will that affect those that come after us? Our children, our grandchildren. What foundation are we laying for them? Yeah. It's meaningful. It matters. The Book of Mormon is truly the keystone of our religion. And that a man and woman will get nearer to God by abiding by its precepts than by any other book. And if you then go and do what he would have you do. Your power to trust him will grow. And in time, you will be overwhelmed with gratitude to find that he has come to trust you. There is no end to the good we can do, to the influence we can have with others. Let us not dwell on the critical or the negative. Let us pray for strength. Let us pray for capacity and desire to assist others. Let us radiate the light of the gospel at all times and in all places that the Spirit of the Redeemer may radiate from us. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and 
be with those we love. He invites us to come, follow me.